There's two things I want you to be very aware of. Number one, right now, right here, you are alive. Do not take that for granted. It is a gift. There are at least a thousand things that need to be working reasonably well for you to be right here, right now, alive. And they're working reasonably well. Number two is you are amazing. Uh, the Bible just says fearfully and wonderfully made. There's something amazing about you. You think and you feel. You desire. You have longings. You have memories, dreams, hopes, loves. You connect. You relate. You communicate. Uh, you work. You build. You design. You craft. You. I mean, there's so much that is so wonderful about you. It's simply amazing. You are alive and you are amazing. And both of those things are because you are made in the image of God. And that is what Genesis chapter 2 is all about. Now, we've already told you that chapter 1, 2, and 3, they flow together, they weave together back and forth. And so it's hard to talk about one chapter without talking about the others. So let me begin once more with chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, then we come down to chapter 2, and we come to verse 4, and my heading says Adam and Eve, and we read, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And now we get a second creation story. There are two creation stories. Genesis chapter 1 is the big story about God creating everything. It is high altitude. It is big picture, as big as the universe. And of course, the earth has a very significant part of that. But chapter 2 is like a creation story that is zooming in on the most important part of God's creation. And that is not only planet earth, but there's going to be all about a garden. It's going to be all about two people who are put in that garden and what those two people are about and what the garden is all about and what basically human history is all about. So chapter 2 is a zoom in and we're going to be zooming in on those things this entire month. Now, Genesis 2 is going to raise and answer some of the most important questions we can possibly ask. And everybody asks these questions, not just Christians, not just the church, but everybody asks these questions. And there's like kind of like four, four groups of questions. You know, the first group is just those very core things. Who am I? Question of identity. What am I? That's the question of my very nature. And why am I? That's the question of my purpose. Uh, well, then a second group of questions basically says, well, what does it mean to be human? What's a human being? Is there anything special? Is there anything unique about us that makes us what we are? What, what are our characteristics? Now, a third set of questions is emerging out of those, and, and that is like, well, why do you matter? Why do humans matter? But why do you matter? Why do I matter? And um, do I matter? Maybe I even need to ask that question. Do I? Is there any value and significance about who I am, what I am? And you know, do some people matter more than others? That's a painful question to ask because we sometimes have answers that are not very good answers to that. Do some groups matter more than others? And then here's a fourth set of questions, which is like maybe the biggest and that is like, okay, what about, what about us as a whole? What about this thing called humanity, this thing called mankind? Um, do we have any responsibilities as humanity? Are there any obligations? Are there any duties that are just kind of woven into the very core of, of what it means to be human? 
like, do we have any responsibilities to God? Uh, do we have any responsibilities to one another? Do we have any obligations to those who will come in the future? What about any duties about the planet itself that God made and, and he gave? I mean, I mean, these are all uh, vitally important questions. And Genesis 2 is the beginning of the answer, a Christian answer, to all of those questions and others as well. Now, there's, there's three things I want to do this morning. Uh, two of them I'm going to do a little brief, and then I'll try and spend the most time on the third thing. But, but the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about this kind of like wild, wild west of possibilities that are out there. If you remember, I mentioned before, worldviews, lots of them. And we, we live in a place where it's a free-for-all about worldviews. There are a lot of answers out there that are not Christian answers, and we're going to be taking a little bit to look at those. Number two is we're going to just begin to, to describe what, the, what do we mean by the image of God, and I'm going to give you a little preview of what the rest of the month is about. And then third, I'm going to get us launched by looking at a couple of the most essential things about the image of God. So here's the first thing, just like what's going on in our culture out there? What are the, what, what are the ways we're thinking about being human, being alive? And I do want to tell you, it is a real mess out there. I mean, confusion, disagreement, difference, conflict about all those questions that I just asked. Now, if you remember the very first week we talked about worldview, I mean, worldview is one way to, like, it's like this big way of understanding and, and uh, making sense out of all of life. But sometimes we use the word story. A story is a really good word. What, like, what's the big story that you find yourself in? And who are the main storytellers in our culture today that are telling stories about what uh, what it means to be human. And when we ask that question, well, very obviously, the main storytellers today are those who are making TV, uh, TV shows and movies and music and art. And, and they're, they're our leading, lead storytellers. And when you look at what those storytellers are doing, it's pretty interesting because, I mean, most of the stories are about zombies, vampires, aliens, superheroes, disaster. And we say, oh, yeah, it's just pure entertainment. Well, may I suggest it's much more than just entertainment. May I say that they're telling those stories and we are watching those stories because there's something about the stories that resonates with us. Uh, I mean, the, the, the zombies, it's like this, this, this um, well, how about the walking dead? What, what a phrase, the walking dead. It's kind of a metaphor, a symbol for how many people are experiencing life. It's like just everything's dying around us and everybody you meet is dying. And vampires are this metaphor of like eternal life and beautiful, but it's evil and it can only be sustained at the expense of others. And there's something terrifying and, and, and they're so bored. And of course, superheroes are the new saviors and these new saviors are, are powerful humans. So sometimes they're, they're not just powerful humans, but they're kind of mixed with some machines. Sometimes they're magicians. Sometimes they are aliens. Sometimes they're gods. Sometimes they're mutants. But you know, we're looking for saviors. What's really intriguing is, is almost all those stories, you know, the, these superhero saviors themselves are deeply, deeply flawed and broken. And one of the most powerful, uh, and I mean, I don't, don't even know if I recommend watching because it can be so vile and depraved, but, but the, uh, the Amazon Prime story of the boys is a story of, well, what happens if the superheroes are just as evil and depraved as the rest of us, but a whole lot more powerful? And man, season after season, they're just exploring superheroes gone bad and doing really, really ugly, vile things. 
and, and disaster films are everywhere, whether it's unfriendly aliens or asteroids or ecological disaster or nuclear, I mean, all kinds of things. By the way, do you know, when I was, when I was uh, uh, in the 70s and 80s, the number one fear that my generation had was nuclear destruction, uh, MAD, mutually assured destruction. We had enough uh, atom bombs to destroy the planet Earth many, many times over. But today, the number one fear, and by the way, this is especially for those uh, who were 18 to 21, a survey from 2020, 67% said their number one anxiety, and it is a significant anxiety, is a fear ecological environmental disaster. It keeps them up at night. So, I mean, you know, basically all this stuff, our, our, our cultural storytellers are saying humanity's in trouble. There's something really, really dark and, and needy about what it means to be a human. It's just out there everywhere. Now, then there are some other, like, more intellectual answers about, about humanity. And, you know, uh, like, for example, we all know what secular humanism is, and that's, that is, like, the, the dominant worldview that says, hey, uh, we're in charge, it's up to us, we make decisions, we design ourselves, we make ourselves, we, we do whatever we want, we're accountable to nobody, I can change as often as I want, and yeah, it's just kind of like the dominant thing. It's up to me to make myself self-sufficient, autonomous, independent, uh, and so on. But you know, there's also a growing group of people that are known as anti-humanists. Now, these anti-humanists, and they are some very smart people out there, they, they look around and say, hey, you know, here's the result of what I just said about, about secular humanism. We have made a mess out of our lives. We've made a mess out of our culture. We have made a mess out of planet Earth, and we're just, we're just dying. We're destroying ex existence. And they say, you know, it would really be better for planet Earth and for every other species if the humanity just did not exist, which is why they say, you know, they are anti-human. You know, for the sake of the planet, for the sake of everything else, you know, humanity just ought to disappear. And they actually have programs for ending, ending birth and, and having a very aggressive program for, for, uh, for euthanasia. Let's just get rid of as many people as quickly as we can for the sake of the planet Earth. That's actually a respectable idea for a bunch of people. Now, I, I'm assuming the majority of us are not going to quite buy into that. But then there's transhumanism, which is becoming very, very powerful. Uh, transhumanism says, hey, flesh and blood is not enough. Biology is not enough. We are so limited. I, earlier I said you, we are alive and amazing, but the transhumanists say, eh, we're not amazing enough. There's all kinds of problems with biology. Our bodies don't work nearly well enough. Uh, we, we don't live long enough. Our brains don't work well enough. And so what we need to do is we need to augment ourselves with technology. Uh, you know, by the way, that, that's not a brand new idea. I remember as a kid watching Lee Majors playing Steve Austin, the $6 million man. Can any of you relate with, uh, with that? And then here, here, here are the words that every episode began with. Um, he, uh, he, was in a, he was in a terrible accident, a man barely alive, but we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We can make him better than he was, better, stronger, faster. And there's Lee Majors you know, running and so fast, 60 miles an hour. Uh, you know, all these bionic implants, these cyborgs, make him better than human. Uh, by the way, you know, what's really interesting is there's all kinds of science fiction out there where we're trying to make humans better, you know, make, make us cyborgs, uh, enhance, upgrade. And at the same time, there's all kinds of movies that are talking about robots and androids that want to become more human. So here we are humans, we want to become more machine, but machines want to become more human. 
And some of the great TV shows are all about, you know, whether it's data who, want, who would like to know what it means to have feelings and emotions and, and iRobot and Battlestar Galactica. And but I mean, for those of you who might have been Battlestar Galactica fans, do you know the number one theme that was of interest to the creators and writers were what does it mean to be a human being? I mean, it was there in every, every episode. Well, I mean, that's, that's just part of transhumanism. But here's the, here's the thing that a lot of people are very, very excited about. They say, hey, you know, our, our brains, we are really just bites of data and patterns. And, and, and if we can wind up taking a, a, a print of the brain, we can download it into the computers, we can upload it into the clouds, and you can live forever. That is not science fiction for many, many people. That is something they are seriously working on very, very aggressively. Now, then there's one more thing. Uh, so we have humanism, anti-humanism, transhumanism, and then there's post-humanism, where that's actually a little bit more pessimistic, and they say, hey, you know, just like right now, we're the number one dominant species on planet Earth, but you know, we're not going to be that way for long. There's another species coming after us. Guess what it is? Artificial intelligence. And our days are numbered. And by the way, and they should be because we have so many limitations that we need artificial intelligence that will live forever and be able to colonize the universe. And listen, th this is not just the stuff of science fiction. These are reasonable people out there, scientists, politicians. They are thinking about these things. By the way, if you want a really nice little introduction to this, and I am not an expert at all, but here's a little book called The Revolt Against Humanity. Here's a subtitle, Imagining a Future Without Us. Now, at my age, I'm not as concerned about some of these things, but I tell you what, our kids and our grandkids, this is going to be stuff that they will be living with and dealing with. It is, it's coming. Okay, so you see, that's what's going on out there in our culture. And we Christians, we can't live in a bubble and pretend it's not there. I mean, first of all, those things affect us and impact us. And secondly, we are called to have a missional presence in the world. And if there's one area where we need to have a missional presence in the world, is it about that group of questions I asked at the beginning? You know, what does it mean to be human? Why do humans matter? And what are the responsibilities? And, and so, I mean, I mean, those are really vital questions that right now there's so much confusion and conflict and, and disagreement. And I think we have so much to offer, especially from... Genesis chapter 2. Okay, so that's the first thing. Number two, let me just tell you real quickly what, um, what the image of God is. Oh, and by the way, here's another uh, resource for you. Uh, this is a phenomenal book just out called Being God's Image. It is probably the most understandable book you can read. We have uh, both these books I just mentioned are on our app. They're on our website. You can check them out. If you just want to learn a whole lot more than what you'll get, even on Sunday mornings, read this out. Uh, read this in the month of July, and, and it'll, be, it'll be great. But uh, Okay, so, so once again, Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make mankind in our, light, in our image and our likeness. And so he created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, there, there's those words, image and likeness. And sometimes people think, well, it's two different things. Well, no, it's not. It basically is an example of Hebrew parallelism, where Hebrews, uh, the, the Hebrew poetry was, hey, let's, let's say the same thing, but using two different words. We just want to make the idea richer and deeper, and we'll use a couple different words. Image and likeness are basically synonymous, you know, in God's image and like God. In many, many ways, here's, here's, the, here's what's amazing, is we are like God. We are God-like. Sounds a little bit odd to even say that, but that's what it means to be in God's image. Now, we're not God, obviously, but by God's grace and creative design, we are like him in many, many important ways. Okay, we're going to spend the rest of the month unpacking that. So next week, what I'm going to wind up doing is I'm going to unpack 
the issue of uh, male and female, he made us. It's not good for a man to be alone. There's a deep relationality about what it means to be a human person. We're going to look at this thing called relationship. We're going to look at, we're going to look at sexuality. That's a part of it. We're going to look at gender. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to look at those particular things. And wow, are they ever hotly contested questions today about the makeup of, of, of humanity? Okay, then the week after that, Brian Newman is going to look at the issue of, of, of work. So we, we were, we were told to, you know, replace it in the garden and we're told to, to subdue it, to rule it. But then in verse 15, there's this wonderful language, you know, God has Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, I want you to work it. I want you to take care of it. So, so Brian's going to look at this thing called vocation and calling and all that is involved with that. Okay, then here's the final part of the image of God that we're going to look at, and, and that is the, the issue of, hey, well, there was, a, there was a really interesting tree placed in the garden. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and Adam and Eve were given the position to be like God in terms of his moral virtues. Uh, there were choices that they had to make. They, had, uh, they could, could obey God, listen to God, and things would go really, really well. And uh, so we're going to be looking at that issue as well. And talk again about three areas concerning humanity that we're just so, so confused about. Sexuality and vocation and morality. Well, Genesis 2 has some of the answers that Christians need to dive into. So that's what we're going to be doing for the month of July. But let me just give you a couple of basic things to, uh, to get us started with the image of God. And I mentioned this at the very beginning, but you are alive You got up this morning. You took a breath. Now, you might have been a little creaky, depending upon your age. You might have to work at sitting up and getting your... But, but, but you're here. You're alive. And you're breathing, thinking, feeling, dreaming. When's this sermon going to be over? What am I going to eat today? Is it going to rain? Am I going to get a nap today? I think about that pretty often. We read this. Then the Lord God formed a man, Adam, from the dust of the ground. By the way, uh, the word man uh, translated actually is Adam, and the word ground is Adamah. And he breathed into his nostrils, he breathed into this dust, the breath of life, and man became a living being. Okay, so God formed the man, and then later in Genesis we read he also formed a woman. So you are... You are a person. You are a human. You are not an animal. There were lots of animals and there were none suitable for Adam. Adam was different. Eve were different from the animals. You're not an angel. You're not a machine. You are not a thing. You are not an it. You are not subhuman. You're not less than human. You know, it's pretty interesting all through human history. We have at times made entire groups of people subhuman, less than human. Genesis says you are this gloriously a live human being, and you are made from the dust of the ground. By the way, if we want to use a little bit more scientific language, and the dust was a good word back then, but we could have said, well, you know, God formed Adam from the, you know, the biochemical raw materials of, of the universe, and, and he made Adam. Well, they didn't know about those, you know, raw, you know, biological, uh, chemical things. So you know, dust, God made Adam out of the dust. But, but then more than that, God breathed his breath into the nostrils of this dust, 
and Adam became a living being. So he didn't need just the raw chemicals of life. He needed more than that. He needed the spirit of God. And the word there uh, is ruach. It means spirit, breath, wind, life, lots of rich, rich terms. But, but God breathed his own spirit into Adam, and Adam became a living being. Man, I tell you, your, your, your dust and your spirit is just something amazing. You are formed out of this amazing stuff of life that God himself created so carefully. And then he breathed his very existence and and essence and life into you. And you and I are living beings. And as I mentioned, I mean, we just, right now, we're thinking, we're understanding, we're analyzing, we're assessing, all kinds of stuff is going on. And you might be feeling something. And there, there's certain things resonating and stirring and you're wondering and, and you might be arguing. That's okay. That's the stuff that we do as human beings, being fully human and fully alive. And, and there's sensations that you have right now. And, and there, I mean, it's just, we are, are formed by God and we are living persons. It's fundamentally being in the image of God. Now, secondly, we are dependent on God. Verse 7 of chapter 2, then the Lord God formed the man. The man did not form himself. Verse 22, then God made a woman from the side of man. The woman did not make herself. Psalm 139, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You know, dependent upon God, he makes us, he forms us, he weaves us together, he knits us together. We do not make ourselves, we are made by and dependent on God. Man, that is the uh, unanimous word of the Bible. I've, I've jotted down a couple more. Acts chapter 17, for in him we live and move and have our being. We don't live and move and have our being in ourselves. That's humanism. But Christianity says in him we live and move and have our being. Colossians chapter one, all things have been created in him. I'm sorry, created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. It's in him, for him and through him. Here's Psalm 104, just taking the words directly from Genesis chapter two. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created. It's just, just repeating what Genesis two says. And one of the verses from Ecclesiastes, if you remember, we looked at Ecclesiastes last summer. The dust returns to the ground that came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And one of the things that we do at almost every grave site uh, burial time is uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, earth to earth. And this body, as amazing as it was when it had the life of God in it and was animated, it is now either decaying slowly or through cremation has the instantaneous. But, you know, we, we go back to this, the raw materials we came from, but the spirit is alive. Of course, the Christian hope has this beautiful sense of one day God's going to raise, you know, this materiality and physicality. But, but we are dependent upon God. And one of the single most important things that Genesis 2 wants us to understand, and the entire Bible, just you are dependent on God. I mean, be dependent. You, you are not self-sufficient. You're not self-sustaining. You're not self-determined. You're not autonomous. I mean, you, you, that's the lie of the culture. You can do all these things by yourself and for yourself. But Christians, oh no, we are always deeply, deeply dependent upon God who's made us and formed us. Okay, so, you know, we are, we are these alive, living human beings, different from everything else that's been created. 
and we are always dependent upon God. And here's the third thing that Genesis 2 is all about. We are also free and responsible. And you wonder, how is that possible? How can we be both dependent and at the same time free and responsible? Genesis chapter 2, God says, you are free to eat, referring to a certain tree. And he says, you must not eat, referring to a certain tree. You're free, but wow, be very, very responsible for how you use your freedom. Do this and do not do that. Now, that message is kind of repeated all the way through the Bible. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I have set before you life and death. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. You're free. Be very, very responsible with the decision that you made. You know, I like to talk about, about Adam and Eve and you and I, uh, not only as human beings, but we are also human becomings. I, I know it sounds kind of odd, but it's actually quite true. This sometimes surprises people, but do you know that Adam and Eve were not perfect in the garden? Now, they were sinless, but they weren't perfect. They weren't perfect in the sense of they were complete and full and, you know, not in that sense, no. Adam and Eve were now positioned to learn, to grow, to develop, to create. I mean, every new thing they would have started would have been a brand new experience for them. I mean, you know, at first there was no music. At some point, Adam and Eve would have started to create music. And, and let's say Eve's creating some music. And Adam says, what's that? And Eve says, well, let's call it music. And they would have learned about music and art and anything you can imagine. I mean, they were, they were perfect, but they were meant to become fully human. They would have grown and developed and matured. It's the very essence of what it means to be a person. And, you know, I tell you why, sometimes people say, isn't, isn't eternity going to be boring? And I think for the rest of eternity, when we are with God and are glorified, we're going to have the rest of eternity to grow and develop and learn and mature. And yes, what does that mean? I can't understand it. But, but that's what it means to be human. We, you know, we are always becoming, growing, learning, developing. I mean, that's, that's why they were put in the garden. The garden was a place to grow and develop. You know, let me just take the, that, that's a powerful way to understand life. You know, this world is a garden for you to grow and develop and learn and get better and improve and become even more amazing than you are. You're already amazing. God has put so much potential. He just wants you to become even more so. Now, by the way, you know, they had, you know, there's always some, there's always some limitations and restrictions. There's always some influences and, and shapes upon us. I mean, we always have some constraints. You know, yes, heredity, but also the environment. Yes, you know, nature. Yes, nurture. Uh, yeah, okay, there are things that form us and shape us, but we're still free and we have to be responsible. And yes, we all have some limitations. I have limitations. You have limitations. There are some obstacles and challenges. And sometimes we don't have all the resources we would like to have. So there's always those things that we're dealing with. But no matter what those things are, we are still always free and responsible. And God wants us to use our freedom and make as many responsible, good choices. And when we do, okay, and by the way, I'm going to weave this together. When we living human beings dependent upon God, use our freedom and make beautiful, good choices, then the garden flourishes. Then your life flourishes. 
then your family flourishes. Then your friends flourish. Then this church flourishes. Then the community of York flourishes. Then planet Earth flourishes. And maybe the generations to come flourish as well. It's what it means to be a human being dependent upon God, free and responsible, very well that they're very aware that there are obligations and duties that have been entrusted to us for the sake of this world that God loves. Does that make sense? Now, you know, sometimes it's a little hard to talk about Genesis 2 in the image of God because that's the ideal. And pretty soon, we don't know exactly how soon, but pretty soon, Genesis 3 happened. And sin happened. And bad things happened. And this image of God was damaged, disfigured, marred, broken. Now, not, not destroyed, not eliminated, but it just got really messed up. And so therefore, um, we, we don't work quite as well as we should. We're certainly not always dependent. And in fact, one of the things we often choose is to be independent. And even though we are free, we misuse our freedom. And then we make some irresponsible choices. And instead of flourishing, things get really messy and bad. Hard to talk about Genesis 2. And all, in fact, all, all month long, as everybody's talking about Genesis 2, they're going to be talking about Genesis 2 knowing that Genesis 3 is, is coming. That's our, our context now. But that's why we have communion today. You see, God had designed the ideal, and then sin entered the world, and the beautiful image of God was, was marred and disfigured. And God says, I'm not going to settle for that. And now God embarks on a restoration program, a renewal project, a reclamation endeavor where he is going to do everything that is needed for you and I to get back to the garden, back to Genesis chapter 2. And of course, that culminated in Jesus Christ, the very image of God with us to show us what God is like. And one of my favorite understandings of salvation, I love the idea of forgiveness. I love the idea of reconciliation. I love the idea of being made right. I love all those ideas. But my very favorite understanding of the image of God, why Jesus Christ came and why he died and why he rose again was for the renewal of the beautiful image of God in every one of us.